We are in um, a series called The Romans Road Trip, and so we're um, taking our time. We're working through the book of Romans. How many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you this is your first time really reading the book of Romans? If, if it is, congratulations. It's a fantastic book in the Bible. Um, probably the most, com- the most complete book that Paul wrote as far as like he's just presenting the gospel, laying it out. Um, we like, we use that, like the phrase, like uh, precept upon precept, line upon line. It's kind of like building a house. And he's just doing a great job in the book of Romans. Um, if you're here for the first time, then we're, you've missed the first five chapters, and I'll try to sum them up. God is good. We jacked it all up. He sent Jesus. We're talking about that now. Is that a pretty good summary so far? Um, Romans chapter 6 is just a, it's a, it's been a good chapter. Uh, the first half, if you were here last week, we talked about how we really are free from sin. Right? We really are free from sin. I can tell by your response that you still aren't convinced. It's okay. It's okay. It's because you're looking at your life and you're like, if I'm really free from sin, why do I keep sinning? And that's kind of what Paul's tackling right now in this chapter. But he's trying to make sure that we understand the truth. And sometimes we need to understand the truth, right? Even if we're not living it out, we still need to know what the truth is. And the truth is we are free from sin. And in the first half of the chapter, he dealt with what does, it, what does a believer's life look like under grace and free from habitual sin. This is really important. So last week we talked about being free from habitual sin, like a life that is marked by continually going back to the same thing over and over again, habitual sin. And in, in this, this second half of chapter 6, He's going to ask a similar question in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And this time he uses a different verb tense, and he's talking about like a a one-time sin, like dabbling in sin. So last week we dealt with like can 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 we be with Jesus and habitually keep doing the things that break his heart? And Paul's saying no. I mean, grace increases where sin increases, but no, that's not going to mark our lives. And now in this, in this part of chapter 6, he's going to deal with like, okay, so, so now that we aren't under law, we're under grace, what does it matter? Maybe I should just do what, do what I want every now and then. And he's going to answer that same question with by no means. So habitual sin, and now he's going to tackle the issue of like living under grace and occasional sin. So here's three things, just three, that I need you to remember that he breaks down in this passage. I'm going to read it, and I'll give you those three things, and then we'll. I'm hesitant to say that this could be the fastest sermon ever, because that probably means it's going to be two hours long. But let's read it first. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15, says this. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. 
Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Three things we need to understand. These are three principles that we need to understand. Here's number one. We're all serving something. You may have heard this um, phrased another way. We all worship something. Isn't, I think it's always funny, like, when we come to church and some people really get into it and some people seem to really not get into it. Sometimes that's a personality thing, right? Like, some people are just very expressive and some people are very reserved. But sometimes it's easy to look at a room and go, oh, well, like, this half of the room is really worshiping God, and this half of the room is not worshiping anything. But the truth of the matter is we're all worshiping something. We were created to serve something. And what Paul says here is either you're serving God, which leads you to life, or you're serving sin, which will lead you to death. Which is why he says in Romans chapter 12, we're just going to jump ahead six, verse, six chapters We'll come back to this at some point in the future. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Side note, if you're the person that comes in here and sings at the top of your lungs, hands outstretched all about God, whoop, 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 and then you go out there and live like the devil consistently, then what he's saying is, like, your true and proper worship is not what you sing. It's what you do with your life. Anybody can fake praise. Anybody can fake singing. It's what we do with our lives. That's our true and proper worship. So he says in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing in perfect will. That's going to be a lot of fun to preach. We have to wait and get back to it. The point that Paul's making here is you've got to either you're offering yourself to God or you're offering yourself to sin. If you offer yourself to God, it's going to lead you to life. If you offer yourself to sin, it's going to lead to death. And don't raise your hands. Just, you know, this is true. How many of you have regrets about choices that you made in your life? Isn't it amazing how going forward you can't see the consequence, right? It's like the enemy's really good at baiting the hook, so you can't see the consequence. But then once it happens, you look back and go, how did I fall for that? Looking back, we can see, oh, that led to this. And we have regret over that. And what Paul's saying is, like, just clearly see, if you offer yourself to sin, it will lead to death. If you offer yourself to God, it will lead to righteousness and to life. So we're, we're serving something. Here's the second point. We're being formed by something. Something is shaping us. 
It's either God and his truth or it's the world and its patterns and lies. We just read it in Romans chapter 12. He said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't let the world shape you. Instead, let God shape you. Let him transform you. In Back in Romans chapter 6, that verse 17 says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Depending on what translation you have, it might have the word doctrine in there. And this is a beautiful picture in the Greek, okay? So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that God... He gives us a container. He shapes us and forms us into a container, a vessel, and then he pours his truth into that vessel. Y'all, that, we're just saying, like, I will make room for you, right? Shake off the traditions, all the dead religion, get rid of that. What we're saying to God is, like, I'm giving you permission to shape my life, to make me a container that can actually handle your truth when you pour it into me. And that's what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 6. You're being formed by something. You used to not have a choice. You used to have to be formed by sin. You had to be formed by the world. But now that you're set free, you get to choose. And haven't you seen this? Like, nobody likes the responsibility of choice. Like, you go to a restaurant. They have a menu. You look at it. You get overwhelmed. And at some point, you look at the server and you say, what would you get? <laughs> like, I would get a break. That's what I would get, like a 10-minute break, right? We ask, we ask people, like, what would you choose? Make the choice for me. Some of that's because we're just tired. Some of that's because we just don't want the responsibility. If that food comes back and is bad, we can always say, well, this isn't what I probably would really wanted. This is what they said to get. And Paul's like, this is a hard chapter because he's looking at the body of Christ. He's looking at the Roman Christians. And he's saying, you now bear the responsibility of making the right choice. God has set you free. You're not slaves. And so now you can choose who will you serve. Seems like that's in the Bible, doesn't it? Seems like somewhere in the Old Testament there's this verse that says, today I set before you life and death. Now choose life. Right? This is what he's telling us. Make that choice. We're being formed by something. What is putting the pressure on your life? Because whatever's pushing on you is what's forming you. Here's number three. Some of y'all, y'all been here long enough. You're, you're going, I don't want to say it, but he's on number three, y'all. This is fast. Right? You're holding your breath. Please, God, let this be true. Number three. Number one, we're serving something. Number two, we're being formed by something. And number three, we're receiving something. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're either getting the wages that we earned or we're getting the gift that we didn't. That's it. All of us are receiving something in this life. What I think is interesting here is that he didn't say this, for the wages of sin is death, but the wages of a good life is eternal life. And, and you and I, we work with, we live next to, we have in our family, we have people in our lives that really believe that their answer to God about why they should be allowed to go to heaven is going to be I did the best I could. And I had more good days than I had bad days. 
And because of that, and because I'm sure you're a fair God, you've got to let me come in. And he's like, if you tried to earn it, you can't come in because it's a gift. You're receiving something. You're receiving death or you're receiving life. It's a gift. What's so cool about God is we're ending this part. Like we're going to take a break from Romans, right? And we're going to go into Unto Us, this Christmas series. And then we're going to kick off 2024 with a, a series called Toxins, which I'm super excited about, right? Like how to live free from the things that poison us. Because God's leading us into a year where not just of getting healthy, because I think a lot of us have been getting healthy spiritually. I'm not sure where you are physically, but spiritually we're getting healthy, right? And from that place of health, man, he's going to let us do some amazing things. And so as we take a break from Romans, what's the last verse that we read? That the gift of God is eternal life. And we're going to take the next four weeks and we're going to talk about the gift of God that was given unto us. Turn to the person next to you and say, it was given to me. Like it was. And we're going to take four weeks and we're going to look at four different characters, people in the, in the Christmas story. And we're going to examine how God came to them personally. Let me give you a teaser. He came to the shepherds, y'all. He came to shepherds, and he didn't tell the shepherds, hey, if you'll go to the synagogue, I'll show up, and you can see me. He went to the shepherds. He showed up at night on a hillside when they were forgotten, and they were just hanging out with sheep. You know your life has hit a low, y'all. What you doing Friday night? Just hanging out with sheep. It's going to be bad. I'm woolly excited about it. That's why I should be a shepherd, right? <laughs> he came to them, and he told them the good news first. Y'all, he doesn't, God just doesn't say, like, I've got a gift, and I'm going to lay it right here. Y'all come get it if you want. He, like, brings it to you. It's like Jesus came to you and to you, to me. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So with all of that said, I kept asking God, this is great. I mean, it's Romans 6. It's three things, serving something, formed by something, receiving something. Awesome. How do we wrap that up? How do we walk out of here in a way that we don't just say, well, that, that was great, Paul. That was like one of your shorter sermons ever. Thank you for that. I can eat sooner than anybody else in the county now. But how do we, how do we like solidify in our heart? How do we live that out? How do we not choose sin over Jesus? And this morning early I was, I just couldn't get away from the phrase first love. And then I come in to 8 o'clock prayer and it's about remembering what God has done. It's about restoring Eden, taking us back to that place. I couldn't get away from Revelation 2 verses 1 through 7, so I'm going to wrap it up this way because I think the answer to not sinning is falling more and more in love with the one who set us free from sin. 
returning to your first love. This is what Paul, this is what, this is what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Um, just quick hands, hand show, show of hands. How many of you were raised in church? I'm just curious. Okay. A, a few of us. So those of us that were raised in church, when I read this first paragraph, the first few verses, you're going you're to start to feel tired. Okay? You ready? To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Verse 2, this is where we're going to start getting tired. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name. Does that not sound like church? You, here's, let me just sum this up. You have done a lot. You have done all the things. I'm a pastor, so I get to talk to people all the time, and they'll say things like, I just, I need a break. I'm tired. And because I'm a human, I understand that, right? I'm like, yeah, I get it. You know what blows me away about what I just read? What blows me away are the one, two, three, the five words I didn't read. After that entire exhaustive list of things that would exhaust anybody, Jesus said this, you've done all those things and have not grown weary. What? They, they hadn't grown weary while they did all that stuff? Like, they're already better than most of us. Who get tired of trying to make the right choice. Is that fair to say? Turn to the person next to you and say, oh, he's talking about you now. <laughs> I'm talking about all of us, right? Do you ever just get tired of trying to make the right choice? Tired of trying not to choose the wrong thing? Man, we can get so worn out doing the right things. And this is what Jesus says to us in that situation. Yet I hold this against you. After all the good that you have done, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I have heard plenty of good-intentioned, good-hearted pastors get red in the face and preach on the part that says, if you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And we should Definitely pay attention to that warning. But that's not what Jesus led with. He led with, y'all, return to your first, I'm, I'm your first love. Return to me. Return, choose me. And if you'll choose me, all that other stuff's going to be taken care of. Choose me. Um, a couple Greek words, and then we're going to talk about marriage counseling. Everybody take a deep breath. <laughs> Some of you are like, you looked at your spouse and said, this is why I brought you today, right? <laughs> a couple Greek words. Number one, repent of forsaking your first love. 
The love, the, the Greek word is protos. This is how he describes first love. It's protos love. It's where we get the word prototype. It is literally the love of most importance. It doesn't mean that all the other things aren't good. It just means like this is, there's nothing more important than the love, the first love, which is heaven's love, agape love. That's like we're being formed by something. When we are formed by heaven, when we don't forsake that first love, then he's forming that in us so that we can then be around people and bring heaven's love there. And he said, that's the love that you forsake, you've forsaken. You've, you've forgotten. And here's the Greek word for forsake. It literally means you left it aside. Like Allison was talking in worship about, like, sometimes we have to lay something down so that we can pick up what God has for us. And I had just studied all this. And what I kept thinking was, it's ironic that what we have to, we have to lay things down so that we can pick up Jesus, he said, like, you've literally laid aside me. You've put me down by the side so that you can chase all these other things. And they're not bad things, but they're not me. He said, return to your first love. Marriage counseling, and then we're done. Please put down all sharp objects. Don't throw them at me. I'm not a counselor. I don't play one on TV. I know some. I know enough about marriage counseling, and I'm talking about like just your standard boilerplate marriage counseling. So there are some marriages that have really, really deep-rooted problems, and they might require a lot more than what I'm getting ready to say. But in most marriage counseling situations, if, a spouse, if two spouses come in and they say, we, we, we used to be in love, we're not in love anymore, we just, I used to look at her and smile, and now I look at her and, you know, like if it's just like we just don't feel close anymore. At some point in that counseling, the counselor is going to look at them and say, I need you to tell me something. Why you, would you marry her? Why would you marry him? Of all the people in the world that you could have married, of all the people that you met, why did you choose to marry him? And what the counselor is basically saying is, return to your first love. Remember why you chose this person and go back to that. What's interesting about that word remember in the Greek is it literally means to rehearse. Rehearse in your mind the thing you're returning to. Which means, think about it. Think about why you're returning to that first love. Think about what it was about Wendy that grabbed me early on and wouldn't let go. It's probably the way she broke up with me twice. Which I think makes me a stalker. I don't know what that means. Right? I think it was like when we sat on the couch and I was like, I got to be honest with you, I think this was date two, maybe date one. It might have been like pre-date one. It was like get to know each other. And I was like, I just need to let you know I'm going to be a pastor. And I said it with such excitement. Clearly, I had no idea what I was getting into, right? It's like, I'm going to be a pastor. You just need to know that. I'm going to go anywhere God tells me to go, and I'm going to tell anybody about Jesus anytime that he wants me to do it. Will you do the same thing? And she was like, 
us. I think that's what got me, right? It was like, then like my next question was, will you marry me? No, I didn't say it that fast. That would have freaked her out. But that willingness to do anything God said to do. You go through three decades of marriage, there are days, right, when you're like, just going, like doing the stuff you do. Like you get up, you go to work, you go to work, you come home, you eat, you just go through a day. And it's easy if you don't keep rehearsing in your mind. When you're sitting at the table and you're eating your food and I'm looking at Wendy and in my mind I'm rehearsing like, holy cow, I'm still married to this woman who will do whatever God tells her to do. You, do I feel it? Not always. Do I rehearse it? Yes. And Jesus is saying, do that with me. The reason that you keep choosing this other stuff that's not nearly as valuable as me is because you're not rehearsing in your mind why you chose me and why I chose you. Maybe I'm just getting older. I don't know. Well, I am definitely getting older, but I kind of want to go back to the days when we didn't have to say anything to each other. When it was enough for me to call her on a rotary phone. Do you know what those are? Like, back before women were twirling with their hair, they were twirling with the cord on the phone, right? That was connected to the wall. You got a really long one so you could, like, get wrapped up in it while you're talking. I remember the days when it was enough for us just to listen to each other breathe. Wake up, Paul. Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't sleeping at all. I was just listening to you breathe, right? I remember those days. Do you remember that with Jesus? Do you remember when you would sit with Jesus you're like, yeah, but that's when I didn't have a life. Or it's when you did. It's when you're, you were marked by life and vitality and excitement about the things of God. Because you spent time with him and what was on his heart became your heart. And what he's saying here is like repent and get back to that place. Where you recognize that everything you could work for will pay you death. Or you could simply receive the gift that I'm giving you in Christ. We don't use the word repent nearly enough. We should use it more. The reason we don't use it is because we hear anger when we hear that word. But it's such a gift, y'all. It's such a gift. For, for, for Jesus to look at us and say, man, I want to be close to you like we used to be close. And I, I want you to want that too. And then our heart just starts going, oh, I want that too. How do I get that? And he says, just turn around. <laughs> just, I'm a, hello, here I am. Just turn around, come back to me. What a gift. What a gift. Last thing practically I'll tell you is if you have, um, and then we're going to pray. If you have one of those Roman road trips companion guides, then in chapter 6, there's a QR code that will take you to a video um, on YouTube explaining how to use Romans 6.23. It's, it's an evangelism method I was taught 
called the one verse evangelism method. You literally can explain the gospel to somebody with Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want you to know it because that's what we're sharing with people, right? Like, y'all, you're working for something that is good for a moment, but eventually just leads to death. But God loves you and wants to give you a gift of life, eternal life, through what Jesus Christ has done. And I believe this, that when we're marked by that, the struggle doesn't go away. A little teaser for when we get into chapter 7. A lot of people are like, if you really love Jesus, you wouldn't struggle with sin. And I would just push back and say, because you love Jesus, you're going to struggle with sin. I was a youth pastor, you know, well, y'all know this. I tell you all the time, I was a youth pastor for like two decades. And I had a youth pastor, he, one time he asked me, does your youth group struggle with sin? And I was like, I wish. They just enjoy it. Right? It's because you're in love with Jesus that you now struggle with things. Because you're fighting for that relationship to stay close to him and him to you. And so in Romans 7, when we get there, probably in February of 2024, which sounds like so long far away, but it's not. When we get there, you're going to relate to chapter 7 because Paul's going to basically say, um, I get it, right? We're in love with Jesus, and yet sometimes we make choices that aren't the best choices. And what do we do about that? And it's going to be awesome. But first, Christmas and New Year's and all the stuff. Can we pray? Some, sometimes I preach or I teach, and I feel like it's a home run, and sometimes I feel like it's a sacrifice bunt. <laughs> this might be that day, right? But if what, if what we just talked about can simply help you move to the next base, like just make movement forward, then I'm good with that, right? Because I think at some point we have got to remember this. We are free from sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We now get to choose. And my heart today is to just encourage you, choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. Choose him. In every area of our lives, choose Jesus over and over and over and over again and let him take care of the rest. So, Father, I have friends in this room right now who are struggling Just with the whole, like, I don't feel like I can even choose it. And I pray, God, that you would give them revelation from this chapter that they are now no longer under law. They're no longer under sin. And it doesn't mean that we get to sin more to get more grace. It doesn't mean that we can just occasionally have some fun doing what we shouldn't do because we know that we're not slaves to that. Because, God, whatever we're giving our lives to is what we will eventually live for. And I'm asking, number one, God, that those in the room that are repenting right now, which if that's you, it's just as simple as saying, Jesus, forgive me. I'm so sorry that I made that choice. But in this moment, I'm choosing you. <laughs> and, God, that that choice would just be accompanied with the life that you promised to give us.
in Christ. And I pray that you would wash them clean. And for all of us, God, I pray that as we head into an extremely busy season, an emotional season, a time when a lot of people are grieving and aware of maybe what they don't have, I pray that we would become people who are aware of who we do have. We have the gift. And that you would continue, God, to draw us closer to you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.